Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com That's MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com Then click on the Art and Decorative link and click on Icons in the drop-down or call 630-629-1720 Morningstar Books and Gifts 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois And by EasternChristianMedia.com A broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's EasternChristianMedia.com Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host, along with Katie Goulis. And it is rather providential that you're listening today, because today is a day in which we celebrate and observe in the Byzantine liturgical calendar martyrdom and people standing up for the faith, witnessing to the true faith. Today is the Sunday of Holy Images, the first Sunday of Lent in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. And as I mentioned, it's a day in which we honor those who stood up for the true faith, especially in particular those who stood up against the iconoclast heresy. That was the heresy that raged through the Byzantine Empire and areas in the Eastern Christian churches for a long time, and finally was put to rest in 843 AD by the Empress Theodora. There was a special council that also proclaimed that holy images were good and, in fact, ought to be painted, and this was against a heresy that said that they could not be painted. In fact, they were destroyed by many heretics and many extremists. But Empress Theodora, acting on behalf of her young son, Michael III, on Sunday, March 11th, in 843 AD, which happened to be the first Sunday of Lent, she proclaimed finally that icons are in fact good, they proclaim our faith, and they ought to be made and presented, and they ought to adorn our churches, and they cannot be refuted. So she helped to smash once and for all the iconoclast heresy. Now this heresy, however, as like all heresies do, tends to raise its ugly head and kind of reconfigures itself in every era. See, heresies are destroyed, but at the same time, they have a way of kind of recycling themselves, sort of reincarnating themselves in different forms. And these forms have to do with, in this case, the denial of who we are as human beings. In other words, the true vision of us as human beings, the true vision of life, of the whole created order. And in fact, that is what is behind a lot of what's been happening in the world today and in our country, which is, of course, has been of great consternation to religious organizations, especially the Catholic Church. Although we talk about the Eastern Catholic Churches in this program, we are part of the whole Catholic Church, and we align ourselves with all people of faith as well, especially our Orthodox brethren. And we stand firm in this battle for the true faith today against, as many of you know, what has happened recently, 
the incursion by the United States government into religious freedom. And the Eastern churches do indeed have something to offer against what is happening, what we're all experiencing as people of faith. But first, we have to acknowledge and look at the situation, and we do so even as an Eastern church. So Katie Gullis is going to help us out here. I brought in kind of a heavy hitter here because she's very much in tune with what's happening in the world today. And I want to give us some examples of what it is we're up against. There are several things that happened recently. Sorry, Father Tom. First of all, I think one of the things that hit me the most was when I was watching the Grammy Awards Mm -hmm. not too long ago. You know, the Grammys honor those who make music and they give all sorts of awards and things like that. But it's also kind of like one big concert because there's many, many musical performances through the night. Well, towards the end of the night, this, I guess you could call her an R&B slash hip hop star, (laughs) Nicki Minaj, who kind of wants to be the next Lady Gaga slash Madonna, (laughs) took to the stage and... I was kind of appalled by what happened and a little bit offended. And I'll read a little bit from an article from CatholicVote.com by Rachel Campos Duffy. She says, Two words came to my mind after watching Nicki Minaj's bizarre exorcism hip-hop performance at the Grammy Awards. Talentless and coward. And Hmm. I agree with her. And she continues, From a mock confession to the use of our sacred music to an altar boy knelt in prayer between the legs of a half-dressed dancer, The Grammys confirmed America's last acceptable prejudice. And it was so true. And it was so sad at the same time because the Grammy Awards started on a very somber note Mm -hmm. with the host LL Cool J leading a prayer kind of to remember Whitney Houston, who had died just the day before. And then we end this way with this mockery Mm -hmm. of the church, mockery of Catholicism and mockery of the sacraments. And I wasn't the only person who was offended by this. I made a post on Facebook about it. And my cousin, who's Jewish, commented (laughs) on it and said, I feel offended for the Catholic Church. (laughs) And all sorts of my friends who, you know, consider themselves to be Catholic or Christian, agnostic, what have you, were all pretty much offended by it. And they were befuddled by it because some pointed out that it was just downright offensive and some pointed out that it wasn't even music, (laughs) which was true because she did very, very little singing. It was almost more of just a production. (laughs) She lip synced a lot of things. She, like I said, she just didn't even sing very much. And this is so, supposed to be about showing showing your, your singing talent. Yeah, right? it was just visually offensive. It was offensive to my ears. <laughs> and um, I'm glad that I wasn't the only person who felt that way. But I, what I also thought was kind of nice was, obviously, people do stuff like this for what? Attention, mm-hmm. right? And um, she didn't get a lot of attention from the mainstream media. And I don't think it was just because they don't care about it. Mm-hmm. But I think it's because they were kind of looking at the Grammys more for what they were, which was celebration of music. And so more articles had to do with people who actually won mm-hmm. and people who actually performed well than her little stunt to offend Catholicism. There was something else you noticed, too, about the audience. Oh, I did. In the first few rows, people were standing up and cheering. But those are kind of the people that they bring in. So like plants. Right? <laughs> yeah, kind of. I mean, they might be fans and things like that, but they're not typically music people they're Mm -hmm. fans and Mm -hmm. so they bring them in they put them in the first row to cheer but as they panned out to the rest of the audience like nobody was standing up people Mm -hmm. you know were kind of clapping out of respect or some kind of i feel like i should have to clap uh but they definitely weren't standing up the way they did for other performers like Mm -hmm. taylor swift and adele who actually sang and sang well and put on good performances Mm -hmm. so it was just really odd And along with this whole overreach of the government on the First Amendment religious freedom, where it's mandating that organizations, especially religious institutions, and now 
healthcare providers provide sterilization and contraceptive drugs and also drugs that cause abortions. That this overreaching is also under a sign of kind of a, a prejudice and kind of a disrespect of what we're up against, the witness, the martyrdom that we're undergoing now. There's a mm-hmm. what we call a white martyrdom, which hopefully will not move into blood martyrdom, but if it has to, I guess it has to. I mean, that has certainly been the history. And as you know, on this program, especially if you listen to this program, you know that we do cover, we keep you on top of the blood martyrdom that is in fact happening as we sit here this very moment, as you are listening right now. It may not be happening in America, but it's happening certainly in the Middle East and areas like that, where Christians are literally being slaughtered and driven out of the motherland of Christianity. As we speak, this is actually happening. There is blood martyrdom, which is very real today, and it's just an airplane ride away from us. And maybe it's close to us other ways as well. We hope not. But one thing is for sure, we are undergoing a white martyrdom. And there's other cases even related to this Health and Human Services action. And one of those is what I keep hearing, Katie, this idea that, oh, well, 98% of Catholic women use birth control anyway. I keep hearing that. I thought to myself, where are they getting this? Yeah, that's so true. Whenever I hear facts, so-called facts like this that are thrown out by people, I always say, what's your source? And then Mm -hmm. I go to the source to actually read the article, Mm -hmm. and I find out that it's not true. And that's the same thing that CatholicVote.org found in their article, how the White House's 98% contraception figure for Catholics is wrong. And basically, the gist of this article is pointing out that their survey results are skewed because they're polling people who identify themselves as Catholic, Mm -hmm. but who may not be practicing Catholics. They may not go to church every Sunday. Mm -hmm. Like some people might refer to them as pick and choose Catholics. Mm -hmm. They pick certain teachings that they want to believe rather than adhering to all of the church's teachings. And the article even said, so what do we know from the start? We aren't dealing with practicing Catholics. In fact, a two-thirds majority of the Catholics in the survey are not eligible to receive communion, according to the U.S. bishops, since they skip their Sunday obligation. (laughs) So right away, you're dealing with Mm -hmm. poll results that are using people who just consider themselves to be Catholic. And, you know, that's a good thing to be, but they're also not representing people who practice their faith and who are very faithful and go to church and receive the sacraments the way that they should be received. And the Catholic Church both East and West, and we include ourselves in this very much. That's why we're covering this in this program, because I want to make it very clear to all the listeners that we are very much a part of this fight. We're very much a part of standing up for what is right and true, especially on this Sunday, the first Sunday of Holy Image, the Sunday in which we honor people who, in fact, did stand up. They endured white martyrdom and blood martyrdom as well. And the Catholic Church is doing something about it. In fact, we have an interesting statement from the bishops recently, even after the president made some modification in his policy. That's right, Father Tom. They said, first, the president— And this is from the USCCB. You can get it right from their website, Mm -hmm. the Catholic Bishops of America. Right. They said, first, he, the president, has decided to retain the HHS's nationwide mandate of insurance coverage of sterilization and contraception, including some abortifacients. This is both unsupported in the law and remains a grave moral concern. We cannot fail to reiterate this, even as so many would focus exclusively on the question of religious liberty. Second, the president has announced some changes in how that mandate will be administered, which is still unclear in its details. As far as we can tell at this point, the change appears to have the following basic contours. And 
When we return, we'll share with you what the bishops, in fact, do have against this modification in the Health and Human Services policy to mandate sterilization, contraception, and abortion-causing drugs for private health care insurers. I'm Father Thomas Sawyer with Katie Gullis on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. There is no such thing as a homosexual. I am Father Thomas J. Loya with a Theology of the Body moment for the Tabor Life Institute. The language of our bodies says that our bodies were created for the other gender. In this sense, there is really no such thing as a homosexual. There were only persons worthy of dignity and respect who through no fault of their own believe they have a sexual attraction to the same gender. It is not compassionate, sensitive, or honest to size someone up, label them, and dismiss them. This is why the church, who is truly compassionate, does not label people homosexual. The church calls same-sex attraction a disordered attraction. This simply means that the attraction did not develop according to the order of creation and to the language of our gendered bodies. But hey, unless you are the Blessed Virgin Mary, every human being, thanks to original sin, is in some way sexually disordered. To find out more about the theology of the body, visit TaborLife.org. TaborLife.org. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Have you ever heard of a Byzantine Catholic? Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya with an Eastern Catholic moment. Pope John Paul II said that the Church must breathe with both its lungs, East and West. The Catholic Church is composed of various rites and jurisdictions within these rites. The Byzantine rite is one of the rites from the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church. The Latin rite is a rite of the Western lung of the Catholic Church. Over time, tensions arose between the two lungs of the church and they finally split from each other in 1054 AD. The Western lung became known as the Roman Catholic Church or Latin Rite and it was centered in Rome. The Eastern lung became known as the Eastern Orthodox Churches and they had four centers, Alexandria, Constantinople, Antioch, and Jerusalem. Beginning in the 15th century, parts of the Eastern Orthodox Churches and the Latin Rite began reuniting again, thus creating what we know today as the Eastern Catholic Churches. To find out more about the Eastern Lung of the Church, go to easternchristianmedia.com. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lawyer, your host with Katie Gullis, and we're talking about how we in the Eastern churches and Western churches, especially here in America, right now during this very moment, these very days, are witnessing a kind of a white martyrdom with recent events having to do especially with the health and human services mandate. But also, it's providential that it's happening now. I think it's providential that it's happened as we're moving into Lent, especially the Eastern churches and on this particular Sunday, because this Sunday is about the true view of the human person and the true witness to the truth. And so I think it's just an incredible providence that we are listening to this program today, and I am doing and working on this program today and communicating these 
messages to you. What we're doing is also we're communicating to you what the church is doing in response to this white martyrdom. And we are reading the letter from USCCB, in other words, United States Catholic Bishops Conference. And Katie will continue with that letter of what it is they still find objectionable in the health and human services policy. Okay, the bishops say it would still mandate that all insurance must include coverage for the objectionable services in all the policies they would write. At this point, it would appear that self-insuring religious employers and religious insurance companies are not exempt from this mandate. It would allow nonprofit religious employers to declare that they do not offer such coverage, but the employee and the insurer may separately agree to add that coverage. The employee would not have to pay any additional amount to obtain this coverage, and the coverage would be provided as part of the employer's policy, not as a separate rider. Finally, we are told that the one-year extension of the effective date from August 1, 2012 to August 1, 2013 is available to any nonprofit religious employer who desires it without any government application or approval process. Now, these changes require careful moral analysis and, moreover, appear subject to some measure of change. But we note at the onset that the lack of clear protection for key stakeholders for self-insured religious employers and for religious and secular for-profit employers, for secular non-profit employers, for religious insurers, and for individuals, is unacceptable and must be corrected. And in the case where the employee and insurer agree to add the objectionable coverage, that coverage is still provided as a part of the objecting employer's plan, financed in the same way as the rest of the coverage offered by the objecting employer. This, too, raises serious moral concerns. We just received information about this proposal for the first time this morning. We were not consulted in advance. Some information we have is in writing and some is oral. We will, of course, continue to press for the greatest conscience protection we can we can secure from the executive branch. But stepping away from the particulars, we note that today's proposal continues to involve needless government intrusion in the internal governance of religious institutions and to threaten government coercion of religious people and groups to violate their most deeply held convictions. In a nation dedicated to religious liberty as its first and founding principle, we should not be limited to negotiating with these parameters. The only complete solution to the religious liberty problem is for HHS to rescind the mandate of these objectionable services. We will therefore continue with no less vigor, no less sense of urgency, our efforts to correct this problem through the other two branches of government. For example, we renew our call on Congress to pass and the administration to sign the Respect for Rights of Conscience Act. And we renew our call to the Catholic faithful and to all our fellow Americans to join together in this effort to protect religious liberty and freedom of conscience for all. Well, that sounds like the message, the sentiment, the spirit of people willing to be at least white martyrs and witnesses to the true faith, to say, no, we will not accept anything that is not really of the truth, and especially something that so egregiously oversteps its bounds and actually is an offense to our faith and to religious freedom for everybody, not just for Catholics, for everybody. See, a lot of things are riding on this for everybody. And here we are, Catholics, both East and West, and Orthodox Christians as well, at the very center of this. But we do have a response, a response to the need. Here is the need. Here is the two things that are needed here. That's just, it's very evident here. First of all, it's the correct view of the human person. And secondly, it's the courage, the fortitude to, in fact, witness to the truth. 
And both of those themes are our themes today in the Byzantine liturgical calendar on this first Sunday of Lent, the Sunday of Orthodoxy, it's called, which means the true faith. In other words, people who stood up for the true faith. And it means that it's also called the Sunday of Holy Images. The two go together because what they were standing up for was the true teaching on holy images, in other words, on icons. Now, many of us today may not understand what the big deal was. It's just pictures, just icons. How can anybody get all upset about that? Well, what happened was, during for centuries, during these times, there was this iconoclast heresy where people who misread the Bible, exaggerated it, were heretical for a whole other other reasons, began to actually destroy icons and penalize those who painted icons. They wanted to wipe out any religious imagery, thought it was wrong and evil. Well, what happened was the church went to work, and then after several councils, especially one in particular, And after finally this decree by Empress Theodora in 843 AD, the church finally triumphed over the true teaching. And the reason why this was so significant, because it's not just about paint on a wall. It's not just about a picture. It's about the fundamental understanding of the incarnation, the most fundamental event ever, that God took on human flesh and became human. He became an image We could see God through the human person of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ who was both God and man. And because of that, all of creation now becomes sacramental. We can use all of creation and see through creation, we can use it and see it as a means of touching God, of communing and participating with God himself in the very interior life of the Trinity. And that makes all the difference in the world how we see and approach all of life, especially humanity, human beings, and from there, our morality, our moral discernment, and from there, finally, the laws of a nation. In other words, the laws of a nation are only valid to the degree in which they are based on the correct view of the human person. And the correct view of the human person comes from one place, the incarnational understanding of the human person, that we image God, and that God himself took on our human form, and he, as Jesus Christ, was the image of the Father. Now, painting icons is a way of affirming this. Destroying icons is a way of denying this one fundamental truth. And if you deny it through art and iconography, then you can deny in all the ways, including the human person themselves. And this is what is underneath this very, very egregious offense against religious liberty. It has to do with the right view of the human person. And this is where the Eastern churches have such a genius, such a gift to offer the world today. Because we stress, especially through our iconography, which we celebrate today, our icons, our images, proclaim the fact that the human person images God. A person is worthy of dignity and respect at all times. Our very bodies have a certain theology, an incarnational dimension. They reveal God. They are sacramental, as is the whole world, the whole earth, which is why icons use elements of the earth. They use colors of the earth. They use compositions that are found in the designs in earth, in the created order, in geometry, in the golden mean. In other words, they take the created order and incorporate those elements into a picture, an icon, an image with paint and color, and it gives us a vision of heaven, a vision of God, and the true vision of ourselves. And only with that true vision can we proceed to make true and fair and just laws. Iconography, the official art of the Eastern churches for which people shed blood, gives us the true 
vision of life and the human person. And without that, there is no justice. There is no fairness. There is only chaos and injustice and sin and evil. And no nation, no civilization can stand on that. As we conclude our program today, I want you to hear some of the sounds of the practice of Lent in the Eastern churches, our deep sense of repentance that we do on behalf of our nation. These are verses from the great prayer of St. Andrew of Crete, which we prayed this past week in the Byzantine church. And notice how the verses bring us deeply into the scriptures. You have separated yourself from your Lord, O my soul, as did Dathan and Abiram. But cry out to him with all your hearts, Spare me, O Lord, and may the earth not open and swallow me up. That's from Numbers chapter 16, verse 32. You are like Ephraim, that raging heifer, and like a gazelle broken free from its reins. Save yourself upon the wings of action and contemplation. Hosea chapter 10, verse 11. May the hands of Moses, O my soul, confirm for you how God can purify the leprosy of our life and make it white as snow. Exodus chapter 4, verses 6 to 8. Like the waters of the Red Sea, the ocean of my sins has totally engulfed me, as with the Egyptian in days of old. May God bless America. I want to thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya, here with Katie Goulis on Light of the East. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610. Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. <laughs>